Okay, so, you know, in many of the sermons uh, that we've heard up to now coming out of the book of Hebrews, there's been some pretty deep theological concepts uh, that have been explained uh, that are given, us, given to us by the writer first, but then uh, I think very well explained by the preachers here. Uh, super grateful for the brothers that I get to work alongside and to hear them uh, exposit the word of God. And, you know, today's sermon, uh, the title is Therefore. The title is Therefore, and uh, the two main passages that we're going to look at today, uh, again, they have been deeply explained. I think that we have a good grasp on them as a community here, uh, and one of the first things uh, that, we, that, that I want to highlight is there was a super deep teaching on the role of Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest, and the perfect mediator. We need Jesus. Every single last one of us needs Jesus. It's not like, okay, yeah, you made a good choice. It's going to maybe, you know, benefit your life just a little bit. We absolutely need Jesus. He's the one who credits us with righteousness before our God. Without Jesus, none of us could have that credit or that status on our file. He's the one who laid down an example for us to clearly see who the Father is. So without him, we wouldn't really have a clear idea of who our Father in heaven is. He's the one who showed us how to live as the true image of God that each of us really is. We need Jesus. We needed him before we knew him. We needed him to save us. We continue to need him to save us. We need him to guide us. We need him to lead us. We need Jesus. One of the things I remember from some of those sermons is the covenant that Jesus provides for us is so much better than the one that existed before. I don't think any of us want to worry about if we have more than one type of fabric on our bodies right now. We would all be violating the law. Maybe, maybe someone in here is wearing all cotton or something. Maybe you got it like that. Right? We would, we would be having to concern ourselves with if, if, the, if the, the, the milk products and the, the meat products touched on our plates. And we would say it's worth it for God's sake, but man, the minutiae of that type of covenant. <laughs> I'm being, you know, facetious. I mean, those are small things. There's way more important things. But man, the new covenant is so much better. I think the second thing that I remember from some of that deep teaching is... The true nature of faith is, is not glorious in and of itself. You know, faith is a vigorous thing. Right. Faith is practical. Faith isn't a factor in situations of ease and comfort. Our faith in God is truly on display when the situation is dire, difficult, and against the odds. Right. You know, the evidences of a faithful life, they aren't financial prosperity or popularity, or getting the things that you want. The evidence of a faithful life, as explained in Hebrews 11, is looking at, life in the fa- looking at life in the face and saying, even still, I see God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yet still, I see God at work in my life. I see God inviting me into his work. My life might be frustrating because of this situation, I might be discouraged because of that situation, 
I might be tempted to faith, faithlessness or criticism, hypercriticism because of what's gone on in my life, but by faith, I still see God. You know, after each of these sections of deep theological teaching, you find these statements that start with the word therefore, and we're going to focus on uh, three sections today, okay? One from Hebrews 10, two from Hebrews 12, and uh, hopefully uh, we have a good old time. So if you want to dive in, get your Bible open, you can look up front if you'd like. Hebrews 10, uh, starting in verse 19, is what we're going to read. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So you notice there's this phrase and it comes up again and again and again. It says, therefore, since, let us. And what I want to do today is kind of draw out this paradigm from these two passages. There's going to be some preaching here, but maybe you might find that this is more of teaching Therefore, since let us, this is a sentence structure. This is an argumentation uh, uh, structure. This is how you try to convince people that because of this, this. And this is really important in our lives. Sometimes we do things and we're like, why'd you do that? And you're like, well, I don't know. I just, I felt it in my gut or something. A lot of the, you know, the, the business world and in sports psychology and in, even in the self-help world, there's this really popular phrase, it's know your why. Know your why. Because when the going gets tough, if you know why, you'll be able to have perseverance, you know, regain your motivation. All right, that's true. I think it's important for us to first know God's why. Okay, so it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, since we can enter God's presence, a space before that if someone entered incorrectly, they would drop dead. And knowing that you might drop dead, that would not produce confidence. (laughs) Now that we can enter into God's presence with confidence by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through his body that was torn for us. And since we have a great priest who advocates for us, okay, because of that, it says, let us. And it goes on for the rest of these, I don't know, these 20 verses here. And it lists things. In verse 22, it says, therefore, because of these two things, because since we can enter with confidence because we have a great high priest, Let us draw near to God. There's something strange about me, maybe my life. I don't know if it's just me, but I find other people too. We want something until we get it, and then we're like, yeah, now I know it, so I don't want it as much. We want it because it's it's, it's, it's evasive and it's exclusive, but then once you're accustomed to it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just. But before you were like, man, I can't wait to have that. And so he's saying, 
We have access to God Almighty. Let's draw near to him with the full assurance that faith brings. We can be close to God. We can be intimate with God. We can be near to God. We can walk with God. We can pray to God. We can spend time in silence with our God. You know, some of us, you, you, we can't sit silent with somebody else. We're not comfortable enough. We don't feel like we're connected enough. We feel like we have to fill the awkward silence in that space. When I'm at my home, like, okay, we talk, we laugh. There's, there's crying sometimes because I push things too far with, with Tickle and Lucas and stuff like that. Um, but what I love is when we're able to kind of just sit in silence together doing our own things but still spending that time. I don't have a lot of people in my life that I can spend time like that with, but God forbid that God himself wouldn't be one of those people. One of those, you know, someone who fits in that space. Let us draw near to God, however that looks. The question that it begs is, how near do you feel to God? How much time do you spend just considering God? I'm not saying how many quiet times did you have this week. What is a quiet time? It can be many things. It's time that's quiet with God. Do you think about God? Do you sing to God? Do you listen to other people sing about God? Do you reflect on his word? There's no way to draw near to God without spending time with God. And this is one of the things that the writer looks to help us to understand. Therefore, because of all this incredible stuff that we've been learning theologically about Jesus and what he's done and the covenant that we have and the access that we have, first things first, let's draw near to God because our nearness to God is what everything else flows from. And then it says, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So I'm not going to do this, therefore, and explain it every single time, okay? I hope you guys begin to get the, the, the mechanism that he's using here. Hold unswervingly. I think a lot of us, some of us, I don't know the measure, we tolerate swerving in our lives. And I'm not talking about how you look at somebody else and say, oh, bro, you're struggling. Leave that to God to judge. You don't need to judge if someone else is doing well spiritually or not. We need to look in the mirror of the word of God and say, am I swerving? Even the use you swerving like it's a cool, a swerve, you know, like it's a cool thing. Sometimes we got to dodge some stuff. I get that. But we should not be swerving on the narrow road because this narrow. If you swerve on the narrow road, you're off of it. We need to hold unswervingly to this hope that God has redeemed us, that God is redeeming the earth through us, that we will see some reality at some point that we all envision of perfection and unity and justice. And that it's going to get bad before it gets good. I don't know if we're going to be here when Jesus returns. I think that's going to be a frightful day. And the days leading up to it are going to be pretty frightful too. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the circles that we, that we occupy. 
we can't let the things that are going on cause us to swerve. Pay attention to the road, if you will. Keep your hands on the wheel, if you will. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I mean, this passage just preaches. I don't have to say a whole lot, I don't feel like. Because of what God has done for us and because he's, he's given us Jesus and we have this priest, let's think about other people. Let's consider how we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds. You know, consideration isn't, isn't flippant. It doesn't happen accidentally. That, that's literally an antithetical concept. To consider means to take time and reflect upon. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, and I'm not even going to say that that's bad. But if you think of yourself at the exclusion of thinking of other people, that is bad. We need to think about other people because we are a community. We are the body of Christ, and what happens with other people matters. Not in the sense of, let me give judgment and decide how they're doing spiritually, but how can I urge them, encourage them, help them, take them along, come alongside them to fulfill the word of God? Let us not give up meeting together. You know, we're all here. There's people on Zoom. It's great. But from what I understand, in the first century, there would have never been a gathering like this. Whose home would have been big enough to have people in, you know, this many people in a space together? As persecuted Christians, what auditorium were they going to rent? <laughs> Praise God that we get to meet together like this. But I think this passage is more so talking about what do you do throughout the week? Do you see Christians? Do you spend time? Do you meet together? I mean, we read in Acts 2, and it says that they spent every day together in the temple courts, and we're like, well, I don't know how you guys, I don't know how, I don't know when the last time you in a Bible study was or when you described this, this passage, but I've heard it said so many times. It was like, but yeah, but we don't have to do that every day. And I'm like, well, wait a second. We don't have to. But there's a principle that there's something that happens when we decide to spend time together. We've got to be in each other's homes. We've got to eat with glad and sincere hearts. When's the last time you fed somebody who's not related to you? In the church. When's the last time you were like, hey, let's go catch that movie or something? Okay, you got to watch what movies you see. I get it. <laughs> okay? You can still go out and do something fun. When's the last time that you were like, I'm going to, in the same way that I'm scheduling what time I'm going to wake up for work and... Maybe if you schedule or decide what you're going to wear the day or two before. I don't know if, you're still, if people do that. Um, some do. If you decide what you're going to make for your meal prep, cool. Saying at the beginning of your week when you're making your plans, and what blocks do I have to spend time with people? I think it's good that maybe we have a house church structure that maybe, maybe it could be a little bit more forceful and say, we got to meet every week at this time. But even if it were that, this would still be addressing what about the initiative that you're taking? to connect the body in the way that it needs to be connected. Let's not give up meeting together because of what God has done. Let us encourage one another. How can you encourage each other if you don't spend time together? Because of what God's done, let's remember the earlier days when we were cleansed, is how it says it in that passage. I think sometimes we remember our early days and we're like, I'm never getting back there. Those days were different. 
I don't want to get back there. Those days were different. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's different connotations that can come with that. But it seems to be that there's a positive connotation to this urging to remember. There's been difficult things that we've all been through in the faith. Probably been mistreated. You probably mistreated somebody uh, and thought it was righteous. <laughs> oh, amen. Let's not go back to that. But remember when you felt cleansed? Remember when you realized that you had the keys to bring in the kingdom to the earth? Remember when you, you, you know, whatever, there's always been wars. There's always been difficulty. There's always been so many things that are like, I don't know what's going on between nations and governments, but we have a slice of heaven right here. Remember that because of what God has done. Let's not throw away our confidence in verse 35, right? This is something worth standing on. Be confident. Walk around with your chest up a little bit. Not your nose in the sky, but your chest up. Be proud. Don't be ashamed to be a disciple. Don't hide it. Don't try to be a chameleon. And in 39, it says, and let us not shrink back. We don't belong to those who shrink back. Therefore, since, let us. Another passage I want to look at in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Right? So this all comes right after that passage that, that Antoine preached, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, uh, the Hall of Faith. Right, and all those stories and all these amazing things that are going on. And this is what, after that expose on what faith looks like, this is what the writer is encouraging us to understand. And so if you take the passage a little bit wider, uh, all of Hebrews 12, again, I got some, some things to highlight here. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Man, and the sin that so easily entangles. Okay, so I, I think it's interesting because it, it, it puts two categories. So let's get rid of sin. I think we have a strong conviction about that. I believe that we have strong conviction about righteousness. I don't think we have a strong conviction about throwing off the things that hinder. Because it's not sin. You might not get boxed out of heaven for it. Your life might look great and be very contrasted to the life of a non-Christian. But when it says throw off everything that hinders, I think that there, there's some room for us to really consider what is hindering us from a life of faith. That's the context. From a life of daring deeds and doing things that if God doesn't do it, it's going to fall to the ground. I don't have any specifics. I don't know. I'm just, I want you guys to consider. I want us all to think together. Let's get rid of the sin that entangles, but let's also throw off the things that hinder. Maybe it's how you schedule, the things that, the, how many things you put into your life. Maybe it's what you value. You know, maybe, I, I, I don't know, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's the lens through which you've decided to look at everything. Right? I don't know. I don't know. But there's things that hinder us in the Bible. It doesn't say, like, you know, you know, rub it off. It says throw it off. Right. 
Get rid of it. In verse 1, it also says, run with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, I think, is a key component to being able to run with perseverance. But this idea of running with perseverance, it implies that there's going to be difficulty. There's going to be things that want to stop you and frustrate you and make you stagnate. And it says that because of these examples of faith that we have, we should choose to push through these difficult scenarios and fix our eyes on Jesus. And what it says about him is that we should consider him who faced death so that we won't grow weary. I want to appeal. You know, I, I don't know if we talk about this stuff out loud. I know some around me do and others don't, but there have been friends of mine and there have been periods in my walk with God where I've said, I'm, I'm not sure about all this. Um, this is frustrating. Life looks so easy for other people. <laughs> Why am I grinding my gears trying to do all this righteousness stuff? I can be a good person, and these thoughts can creep. I've been a disciple almost 15 years, and I would be lying to you to say that there hasn't been challenges. Uh, I don't know where you are, but let's not consider quitting. Can't quit. Struggle in the church. Struggle with the Spirit of God. Struggle with the brothers and sisters. Don't do it on your own. Don't grow weary. God is good. He'll make you stand. He'll help you. He'll bring strength to you. It says endure hardship as discipline. Reframe the things you're going through that might tempt you to want to quit or be frustrated or be jealous or be whatever. Reframe them and say, you know what, this hardship is discipline from God. And not discipline in the sense of punishment but discipline in the sense of forming you into the image of Jesus. He's, he's, he's contouring you. He's chiseling you out. It's an act of love that God is able to do even in the midst of these difficulties. And it also says, strengthen your weak knees and feeble arms. <laughs> Get to the gym a little bit, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, practice your faith so it doesn't atrophy, right? Um, you want to stay strong. Figure out what it means to strengthen the weakness that you have. The last little section here, um, the language changes just a little bit. And it's not therefore since. Uh, it just kind of gets into this make every effort and see to it kind of language. And uh, it says make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Everyone. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. You know, every, I don't know, I don't, maybe I wasn't paying attention growing up, but I feel like there's, there's elections going on every season. <laughs> like, who are we voting for right now? Like, what office is open? Like, what? I thought we just voted. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I just, I must just not have been paying attention growing up, you know? Uh, man. Took me till I was 33 to like, man, we got, okay, anyway. <laughs> These are some of the most, like, opposite of peaceable times. Yeah. And if, it's ha if, if we're voting often and we're preparing to vote often, 
these things, I don't know, I don't care about what you believe. I honestly don't care. I, can, I can't say that more plainly about what you believe politically. We can have a great conversation about why that is if you want to talk to me. I love having conversation about stuff like this. But to believe what you believe so strongly that it would give you an out from choosing to live at peace with everyone and making every effort is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You can't live at peace when your candidate wins and then live in rage when your candidate doesn't. That's hypocritical. Outside of the realm of politics, you have families, and I know families, families come with function and dysfunction. <laughs> right? You got coworkers and they come with the same. You got neighbors and they come with the same. Who are you? Who have you said you won't be at peace with? Repent. God has done too much for us to choose to not live at peace and obey his word because we just simply don't feel like it. It also says not just to live in peace with everyone, but to also be holy. I like that it put that piece on there. You know, we can act nice with people, but not actually be nice. You can act cool with people, but not actually have a spiritual overflow of the, of the fruits in how you interact with them. You're just not mean to them. Right? It doesn't say don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. It says do to other people what you want them to do to you. It's not about the absence of things. It's about what you bring to the table and what you enact. Make every effort. It also says see to it. I love this. When I think of see to it, I'm like, yeah, let's see to it that there's some radical something. This is radical, but it's not the kind of radical that comes to my mind. It says see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. I love that God is not the way that I am. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That is an amazing command. See to it that you interact with people in such a way that you help them to see and respond to the grace of God. It is not our job to convict people of sin. Whose job is that? What does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit will convict according to sin. You don't have to dramatize, make sure that someone understands. When they come to confess to you, why do you think they're confessing to you? Because they don't understand that it's sin? They're confessing because they know that it's sin. What they need from you is to see the grace of God that leads to repentance. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Let us be a grace-filled community. Don't let it be that someone comes to you vulnerable and takes a chance to confess something embarrassing to you. And what they get in response is judgment. Or like, how could you? Disgust or something like that. How out of touch do you have to be to respond to somebody that way? You're guilty of the same, we are guilty of the same things. Get off the high horse and make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Let's also see to it that no bitter root grows up. Oh, that's a whole other sermon. But this takes work. This takes spending time. This takes meeting together. This takes having conversation. This takes drawing out that deep, that, those deep waters. 
This takes being invested in each other's life and saying, hey, it seems to be that there is a start of a bitter root. And whether you say that outright or you just acknowledge that, let me get in and help this person that this doesn't grow up to defile many. Let's also see to it that no one is sexually moral or godless, like Esau is the example. If you don't know the story, go read about Esau. Esau traded his whole birthright for a bowl of red stew. And we're like, well, I would never do that. Okay, it's, it's, I think there's some allegory here, okay? Like, it's the idea that sometimes for, like, sustenance, that, that bread, you know, paper, money, we forfeit a lot that God has promised to us. So it might not be a bowl of red stew, but it is, it is, it is what fills you. Whatever it is that fills you for that momentary, that, that moment, trading that. For God's eternal promises. Let's see to it that no one is sexually moral. We, we got to have a high standard in the church, y'all. Uh, we're not here to take advantage of each other. Men toward women, women toward men. We were not made for that. We're here to honor God. Let's make sure that we have purity in the church. And let's make sure that we keep God on our mind. It also says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And, it, and, and for me, as I was, I was like, wow, this is how this starts to, to close out. I remember preaching two months ago, opening up the, the, the series and saying, if nothing else, if you don't get anything from this series, make sure that you listen. And the other thing was, don't feel called out, feel called in. This idea of don't refuse him who speaks, man, you've, we've been hearing the word of God preached. And I think, again, I will say excellently. Don't refuse what you're hearing. Let it penetrate. Let it influence. Let it inspire. Let it build something in your life and in your relationships. Don't refuse him who speaks. And it gives kind of, it goes on, and I'm not going to read into it, but, but if, if you, if you want to read back to Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, or if you want to look back into Exodus, I think it's 19 and 20, it talks about the mountain of God and how it was on fire and how people were like, we're going to listen to that voice. You know, we're not going to touch that mountain. Like, if, you, if, if they didn't listen to that voice, the consequences were steep. And the writer's saying, look, we have been given a greater message. So are the consequences not much steeper? We have to listen to the word of God. All right, so I'm going to bring us to this last passage here and close this out. At the end of Hebrews 12, 28, it says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Man. Um, one more time, you see the pattern. Therefore, since let us. Therefore, since let us. So since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, this is sort of the, the, the ending point, the synopsis point of the book of Hebrews. I took time, the Hebrews writer is saying, to explain to you Jesus is greater than the angels, and he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than Melchizedek, and the covenant is greater, and he's a perfect mediator, he's a perfect priest, he's a great leader and a great king, and all this. Okay, all of that to pull the people back from walking away from Jesus, to pull the people back from looking for a new message somewhere, all of that to say, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
if you have bowed the knee to Jesus and made him Lord and been baptized in the waters of baptism, you have a property. You have property in the kingdom. Okay? Think of it that way. You have property in the kingdom. You're invested. And how the kingdom goes, you go. And I don't mean our church. The church is a different word than kingdom. I mean God's eternal kingdom. And what it's saying is your property, your investment is in a place that is unshakable. You don't have to worry about property value declining or something. Should I, should, man, should I get a property over there? I don't know. Is it a good time to buy? Interest rates are high. I don't know. You don't have to think that way. The property in the kingdom is always appreciated. You invest in the kingdom, you seek first the kingdom, and he will add all these things to you. It's always, you never lose when you invest in God's kingdom. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, be thankful. Here's the point. Be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. God has given us something unshakable. What he wants in return is thanksgiving. And he wants to be worshipped appropriately according to all that he's done for us. With reverence and with awe. To revere God. To be in awe of God. The language in the, in the, in the, in the chapters leading up to this elicits the idea of the fear of God. And he ends this line, for our God is a consuming fire. The fear of God is the aim of all of this. And, you know, talking about the fear of God can get awkward and weird. It's like, oh, well, does God want us to fear him or love him? Okay, I think that's the wrong paradigm. I'd like to reframe this and close this out. When you're afraid of something, it consumes you. Think about that. See, and test if that's true in your mind, in your experience. When you're afraid of something, it consumes you. And when something consumes you, it drives you. It drives your viewpoint and your feelings and your actions. And so because of what God has done and because of this kingdom that we have, let's let God consume us. I think that's how we should understand what's being written. Let God consume you and let God and his will drive you. How long are you awake in a day before God crosses your mind? You may or may not be consumed. How long before you make big life decisions concerning righteousness, righteousness and, and, and things that have nothing to do with righteousness? Like the things that just, they are what they are. They're whatever, right? No big deal. They're not, they don't have salvation consequences. How long before God becomes a factor in that decision-making? Maybe inverse. How quick are we for God's will, God's plans, God's wanting to partner with me to bring the kingdom to the earth? How quick are we to let that influence our lives? You know, God, God's not calling us to some dreadful place. I think when, when the Israelites... Uh, saw Moses go up that mountain and it was thunder and it was lightning and it was fire and 
If an animal touches this mountain, it must be put to death. If any of you touch it, you will die. You know, that, that's a dreadful place. And God was still doing something incredible in that place. But for us, God as a consuming fire, he's not calling us to this dreadful place, but to the beautiful, perfect, fulfilling, inspiring kingdom of God. Today, I want to encourage us as we think about life. Let's, let's get into thinking about the therefore since and what that should mean for our life. But if nothing else, let us consider how consumed are we? Are you consumed by God? And does he determine what you're doing and, and, and how you're going to do it? Amen? Let's pray together and take communion. Father, I want to thank you for your word and thank you for guiding us. Uh, to go into the book of Hebrews as a church throughout the Chicagoland. And I feel, God, that coming into this series, I felt like Hebrews was my favorite book in the Bible, and I felt like I know this book. And uh, as we've been preaching and, and reading through it and I've been listening, uh, man, I've learned so much, God. And, uh, Father, I, I don't want to just be somebody who has an aptitude for learning. I don't just want to learn, learn, learn. I want to, I want to put into practice. And Father, I pray that all of us today here, that we would be a people who don't just hear but do. Uh, God, I would never want to be, uh, that this community would become uh, one that honors you with our lips, but, but, but our hearts are far from you. And I, I pray that we can match what we say with what's going on in our hearts and with what we do. And uh, from all the commands today and the challenges that came from this passage to, uh, you know, see to it or make every effort or to let something happen among us, God, the, the list was long. And uh, I pray that you would give us clarity uh, individually about what things to tackle because I don't think we can tackle all of it at once. Uh, but, Father, I also pray that as a community we can make decisions to say, okay, so what can we do together to make sure that we are living not just individually or not just in pockets, but collectively as a people who are consumed by you. God, thank you for loving us. I pray to thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that makes all of this possible and lets us enter into your presence even in prayer right now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.